Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. Thank you, Mackenzie, for that reading. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. One of the things I love about having uh, the kids in the service uh, and doing things, one, is because I think it's cool for our family to be doing things together. Secondly, I think it helps me not take myself or ourselves too seriously. One, at one point, I think when Jason was doing like the call to worship, I saw one of the kids roll down. I think she has like um, wheels on her, the bottom of her feet. She rolled down the aisle and I just thought that is just so good. Like, um, it's so great because I think God makes space for all of these different things and for all of us to worship together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into um, God's word this morning. Father, you are a God who speaks to us. Thank you that that is true. Give us ears to hear this morning. Help us to be attentive to your voice, to your presence. Um, in your word, but also in other people, and in our conversations that we might have. Uh, Thank you that you are a God who is persistent um, to reveal yourself to us um, always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This summer we're in a series called Seven Psalms, Seven Statements, in which we're looking at from week to week either a psalm Um, or one of the seven I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And the hope and the desire is that as we look and explore and consider some of these psalms, we we get a sense of what it looks like to relate to God uh, through these prayers, these ancient prayers that we've been given. And then in these I am statements in the Gospel of John, we're, we're wanting to be attentive to the ways in which God interacts with us. Who does he reveal himself to be? And this morning we're looking at the second of the I am statements in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Uh, and But before we do that, I'd like to kind of begin with, unsurprisingly, uh, sort of a, an exploration of, of a film I really appreciate uh, called uh, Midnight Special. Someone said to me when we were doing the, the sound check, wait, isn't that the movie with like a lot of expletives in it? 
It's not. This is not the one. I think that's like Midnight Run or Midnight uh, Express or something like that. This, this is a film you should all see. Uh, so Midnight Special is this movie directed by Jeff Nichols, and here's the sort of broad brushstroke of that film and why I appreciate it and why I think it's applicable to um, at least these I am statements in general. So the, the beginning of the film thrusts us right into the action. We are in a hotel room. We have no idea what's going on, but there is a, there is a child and there are two older men. And this child who's named Alton, he's on the floor and he's reading. And then there's this man named Roy, who we learn is the child's father, and then Roy's friend, Lucas. And while they're in this hotel room, this thing comes on the, t- the television. It's an amber alert because a child has been abducted. And of course, we learn that that is Alton. Alton has been somehow abducted by his father. Why is that? Well, the story is because Alton has these special powers. He has these things about him that people can't really understand. He, he has these, these powers to speak in a different language. He also has these, these powers of light uh, the, and, and like electrical or electrical currents. Uh, and it, nobody knows what to do with him. But what's really fascinating is as he's thrust, or as we are, thrust into the middle of this film, all the characters around him are forced to kind of reconcile who this child is and what they're supposed to do in reference to him. And you have one religious cultic leader who wants to, he adopted Alton for his own purposes, because here is a kid that people can come around and they can begin to worship and begin to give this guy praise and accolades. But then you have this father who simply wants his child to be protected. But throughout the film, as the father and son are on the run, the father is coming to terms with who his son is. What is his purpose on earth? Where does he come from? And where is he going? And I think that's a really fascinating sense of what's happening here in these I am statements of of Jesus, because Jesus makes these profound claims about himself, these claims that that are ridiculous, that are surprising to these first century hearers, or at least the Pharisees and these religious leaders. And what are they supposed to do in reference to this person who claims to be who he claims to be, connected somehow to the Father, to God himself? Well, as the film progresses, and as the father wants to continue to hold on to Alton, it becomes increasingly clear that he's going to have to let him go. And eventually, toward, at the end of the film, there's this major twist, and here, no, I'm kidding, I'm not going to give it away. You guys always give me, <laughs> you give me a hard time for doing these things, but I won't. But what I will tell you is this, is that Alton is somehow a part of this world that overlaps with ours. And throughout the film, we get glimpses of this other world. And it's clear that he is, he belongs not simply to this world, though he's certainly part of it, but he belongs to a whole other world that is somehow there, but not there. And over time, those who are close to Alton begin to become aware and begin to see who he is and where it is he's going. So it's a wonderful picture, I think, of the person of Jesus. And I don't think that there's a specific, you know, thread. There's certainly religious themes in this film, and I I don't want to push too hard on that, but I think it just offers a really incredible image 
of what we have to do with the Jesus who says he is the one who is the light of the world or he is the bread of life. What do we do with a claim like that? And so this morning we're going to look at John 8, and I want to suggest that, that Christ reveals, uh, th- through being the light, he reveals things about God, about us, and about understanding itself. So I want to look at those three things. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, to John chapter 8, that's on page 894. We're going to look at what Christ as the light might reveal about God, about us, and about understanding. So certainly the claim in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That seems pretty, doesn't seem too life-altering, at least as we listen to it, because I think we hear it and we've heard it so many times. But why the Pharisees' response? You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. What precisely is Jesus testifying to about himself? Yes, he is the light of the world. People are to follow him and they will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. But what is so profound about that claim? Well, I think the context to this passage gives us some clues as to why it's such a profound claim. And if we look at John chapter 7, we see that this is happening or taking place around the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, this feast was to commemorate the time when, when God himself, after rescuing Israel from Egypt, was their light, was their guide through the wilderness. From a cloud by day and a pillar of fire or light by night, God would continue to be present and guide the people of Israel. So Jesus making this claim is certainly connected to God's consistent, persistent light of guiding Israel. Israel. But also, if you look at the end of this passage that we had read, verse 20, there's this really interesting um, piece of information. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So why this piece of information? Well, where Jesus was teaching in the temple, where he was, there would be the court of women or in the treasury, there would be four great lampstands to commemorate this feast of the tabernacles as God's guiding them. And these lampstands would be placed there, and they would be going and continuing to burn, and priests would go and fill these lamps with oil to be sure that the light would not run out. So Jesus is making this pronouncement of light while he's in this living theater, per se, of, of, of the light that is commemorating God's guidance for the people of Israel behind him. There is no mystery to what Jesus is proclaiming. And his first century hearers and listeners would understand this right away. He is claiming himself to be like God. Now what I think is really fascinating about that claim, at least for me, and one of the great things I feel like God has been doing recently is reminding me over and over again how peculiar it is to be a Christian. And how, seriously, and, uh, and how peculiar it is the things that we claim together. Uh, because here, the Pharisees, the first century listeners, 
they understand the gravity of Christ's claim. He is proclaiming to be God himself in the flesh. That is something that we have grown up into if we have been a follower of Jesus for a long period of time, or it's something we constantly affirm. But that, in and of itself, is a, is a crazy claim. To think that God himself, the one who created all of this and us, in this text, is talking with flesh and bone and a story and a life and parents or a mother, two people in front of him. That God himself is before these first century listeners, these Pharisees. And that we stake our life and our faith on the truth that God has come to us in Jesus Christ. That he has put on flesh. That his body ran, that blood ran through his veins. That he was a child who grew up. That is crazy and peculiar. But that is, those are the claims that we make. And so Jesus himself coming to these first century listeners is proclaiming to be like God. To be like the God who is light. And they recognize the gravity of what it is Jesus is saying. So then Jesus continues. So Jesus answered, verse 14, But even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, well, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus continues to press the point. If you knew me, you would know my Father. I, I am the one, I am the light of the world who is revealing God. I am the very revelation of God himself. And Jesus continues to connect himself to God over and over throughout the Gospels, but specifically in the Gospel of John. He and the Father are one. So what does that mean? To know Christ is to know God. To know Christ is to know God. So if we were to look at Jesus then, what does his revelation, what is as Christ as the light, what does he reveal to us about God? Well, as we think about this, this context of, of God being commemorated or remembered for guiding Israel out of, out of Egypt and through the wilderness, I think there are three different ways in which we can see Jesus revealing God. First, we see that Jesus reveals God to be someone who is has a, or a, sorry, a redemptive presence. So God's presence with us is redemptive. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus reveals God to be the one whose presence redeems, whose presence restores. Now, if we were to look at the beginning of John 8, it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. Certainly, we see Jesus revealing a God who is compassionate 
and concerned. For somebody, others want to simply throw down and bring before the courts to stone. And Jesus, in his infinite grace and mercy, reveals a God who redeems and restores this woman in her dignity. God's presence is redeeming. But God's presence is also a guiding presence. God doesn't simply redeem Israel out of Egypt. God guides them through the wilderness. So Jesus reveals a God who guides in his presence. Where are you on your journey of faith? Do you feel as if God has forgotten you? Do you feel as if God has gone somewhere and has not brought you along? Well, Jesus himself reveals that God is a God who persists in his guidance. Where he has brought you, he will continue to lead you, and he will continue to guide you. That is the God that Jesus reveals. But there's also a sense in which God's presence is surprising. See, the Jews, the Pharisees in this, in this text could not fathom that this could possibly be happening. They have had all the stories They grew up knowing this, and yet Jesus comes onto the scene to reveal God, whose presence is surprising. I mean, that is is an incredible thing to consider, because how many of us have lived with a faith for a very long time in which it feels like the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? There are no surprises. And as a result of that lack of surprise... We become entrenched in who we are or where we are with God, and we think that is the only way it will ever be. And we begin to form a life out of this sense of, okay, well, I once met God, I don't know where he is now, I'm going to be faithful, and that's good. But then I think as a result of of not being aware of the, the reality that God can surprise, we miss him when he's right in front of us. God's presence is a surprising presence. When God is before us, we need to be willing to see anew and afresh. Otherwise, we might miss him. So redemptive presence, guiding presence, and surprising presence. And I wonder, I wonder this morning, which one you need? As Jesus is the light of the world, is the one who reveals God, to be redemptive, to be present and guiding, and to be surprising. Which one do you long for? Which one do you need? Perhaps that's an entry point into a new or a fresh relating to God. To be asking, God, I need your redemption in my life. I need your guidance. I need your surprise. But Christ, as the light of the world, also reveals something about us. Again, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Without Jesus, without the light that Jesus is, we will walk in darkness. Without the light that Jesus provides, we cannot know ourselves as we truly are. And that is both maybe consoling news. I don't want to know who I am. I would like to not really know who I am. But if you cannot really know who you are, then you cannot fully receive and accept the grace that Jesus offers. 
The light of Jesus helps us to see who it is we are, and without him we are in darkness. There's this incredible um, title of a song, and it's also a line in the song by Sufjan Stevens in his uh, album, Carrie and Lowell. And he says this, there's no shade in the shadow of the cross. I think about this line all the time. There's no shade in the shadow of the cross. His, his album is really a story of his coming to terms with his mother's death and the relationship he didn't really have with his mother and all of the turmoil that he went through to reconcile that uh, and, and uh, drug abuse and other different things. But he, he, this is the, the second to last song. And the last part of that song is there's no shadow in the, in the shadow, or there's no shade in the shadow of the cross. And I, I, I wonder if what he's saying is that it is the cross and the light that the cross makes possible is what makes it him able to tell the story that he's telling. And what do I mean by that? I mean, if we don't have the shadow of the cross where there is no shade, then we are not able to tell our story as it really is. If we have not allowed ourselves to be overwhelmed by the light, the revealing light of Jesus, then we will always be in darkness, never paying attention or owning or coming to terms with who it is we really are. And if, that's not, if we can't do that, then we can never come to terms with the incredible grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Both need to take place. We need the shadow of the cross to reveal who it is we are, so that we might then receive all that the light of life, that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus might give. So I'm, I'm wondering, you, where might Christ, where might Christ be wanting to reveal more of who you are? Where might the shadow of the cross be exposing you? And are you going to take seriously that exposure and come to terms with it so that, we, so that you might recognize that, the, that God's grace covers even that? Or are we going to continue to be hiding, thinking that we can hide, and therefore remain in darkness, never open to the grace-filled possibility of Jesus? On Thursday night, there was a gathering of men at Carl's house, and there were, there were opportunities for stories to be shared. And it was a wonderful time. But I think anybody who was there, I, at least when I, had, when I was there, I, I thought, this is not possible without Jesus. Because the stories that people shared, I thought, there is nowhere else where this is taking place and where this can happen. That somebody, a friend, can get up before men and to say, here is my story. Here is where it was, and dear God, it was bad. But here is where it is now, and that is only because of what God has made possible through the grace of Jesus and the grace that Jesus shows through the community. And I thought, that right there, that is like no shade in the shadow of the cross. Somebody being willing and able to be exposed by the light of Jesus in such a way that they can tell their story as it really is, because it leads over and over to the possibility of God's grace. But Christ as the light also reveals something 
about understanding itself. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus continually in this, in John, but also in this, you don't know me or my father. And you don't know my father because you do not know me. That Jesus becomes the way by which we actually understand. Without Jesus, we cannot see. Without faith, trust in Christ, we are not able to see the world, ourselves, or others as they really are, or as it really is. Jesus becomes the hermeneutic by which we interpret all that is. Now, this is really hard to grasp, even for me, in this highly rational way of living. We think that we can determine what is true or what is real or what is good. And and that is something that, that we have assumed responsibility of. I don't trust myself to be that smart. And Christ says, you aren't, actually. You need me to know. You need me to see. St. Augustine says this, and I love this quote. Uh, He actually says this in a lecture on John 7. He says, Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, do not seek to understand in order to believe, but believe that you may understand. So you, you want to understand yourself, others, what it means to live? First believe, then, in Jesus. This is so counterintuitive. That we need to first believe in order to understand. That's not how it works. I was told to to learn and to study and to gather all the evidence and then determine what's true. St. Augustine says that's not how it works, actually. Especially not when it comes to to things about Jesus and faith. (laughs) Believe, and then you will understand. This is humbling to me. This requires a whole lot of trust. And I wonder if I have it sometimes. Can I believe Christ, what he says, what he's asking of me, before I actually understand any of it? And I wonder if that's where you might be this morning. You're kind of on the fence. I don't know if it's in relationship to Jesus or something that you might feel God is, um, or sense that God is pulling you toward, and you're like, I, I need more. I, just, I need a few more fleeces to kind of work out. I need, I need some... Some one, two, three things, and then, yeah, absolutely, I'll jump right in. But what if that's not what it takes? What if it's the step you take that will then lead to recognizing, to understanding? Where are you? What might God be calling you into that you first need to trust and believe, and then you might actually see and know? And I wonder that for our church. As Christ claims to be the light of the world, we are also called to be a light to the world. And we cannot be light unless we have the light of Christ. So what type of presence might we have in our city, in our world, with one another? What type of presence might God make possible? What type of of exposure might God need to do in us as a community things that he might need to, to bring to light so that we might deal with in order that we might receive afresh the grace of God. And what might God be calling us as a community toward to believe in order to understand? 
Occasionally, or every other week, we have opportunities to receive prayer, and this is one of those weeks. And I have some questions for you to consider during this this space, during this time. And you may not want to go and and receive prayer from people, but they want to pray with you. Uh, And if you feel any sort of nudge in that direction, I encourage you to to trust it and, and to step toward it. One of the ways I've experienced God's love toward me and his presence toward me is through prayer. So I encourage that. But maybe this is a time for you to consider, to reflect. And these are some questions to maybe take with you now um, as you sit and as you think, but also this week to, to think about. is What about God might Christ be revealing to you? What about God might Christ be revealing to you? What, what truth about God do you need to hold on to? Is it his redemption? Is it his guidance? It is, is, it, is it his surprise? What truth about God might Christ be revealing to you? Well, what about yourself might Christ want to bring to light? What is something in your life that God, through his grace and mercy in Jesus, might want to reveal? And here's the thing about revealing that. It's one thing to have it revealed to yourself. It's a whole other thing, and it's called confession, to let that revelation out before others. But it is in confession that healing is found and is made possible. So if you feel like Christ might be revealing something to you about your life, I challenge you, I encourage you to let somebody know, someone you trust, someone you love, somebody who can hold on to that for you and pray with you through it. But, or where might Christ be inviting you into trust before understanding? Is there, is there a thing in your life, is there a place where you have been holding on to or waiting just for that one piece of evidence, that one good thing, yes, and then, But perhaps it's the step toward belief and trust in Jesus that will then make that understanding possible. So those are three questions to consider before we receive prayer. I'd like to invite the worship team up, and I will pray um, for us as we move into this next part of our service. God, reveal to us as your light who it is you are, who it is we are, and what it means to know you at all. Thank you, God, that you have given to us Jesus, that you have come to us in Jesus. Help us be astounded by that claim that Jesus makes, that he is one with you, that to know you, we need to know him. Help us, Father, to continually abide with Jesus, to follow after him, so that we might have the light of life and not walk in darkness. Thank you that you, God, through Jesus, have come to be the light to the world that we, that those around us, that our world might know. The life-saving, the grace-giving truth that you have given your whole self in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. Thank you that we are part of that story. Thank you that we are able to receive what it is you offer so generously. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.